So yes, I get to share tonight um, kind of about my journey through fatherhood. And one, one of the messages I gave right after Scarlett was born was just about fatherhood and just what that did. Um, and I have a little girl, her name's Scarlett. She's about two and a half. And we have a couple of pictures I'm going to show just so you guys. Uh, I'm going to reference her a lot because she's taught me a lot of stuff. And uh, so she loves to have fun. She obviously loves the beach too, which is uh, awkward. And she's like, Dad, let's go to beach. And we're like, there's no beach here. So... Um, so she has been uh, just a tornado of fun. She loves adrenaline. She gets up from her daddy. And so we have lots of fun with her going on adventures. And uh, so she's been an amazing treasure, but she's probably been one of the most significant instruments for me understanding God's heart for us. And I've been trying to work on this kind of message to, to bring it um, to you guys for a while. And, and it's been made clear for me recently. And so I get to share tonight. <laughs> That's, um, there she's loving bacon. And uh, I'm just going to, I can't resist here. I'm just going to watch this for a second. This is awesome. There we go. Huh? 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 See? Yeah. So there she is. So I have uh, many names. My dad calls me son. My siblings call me bro. My wife calls me sweetie. My friends, many of them call me Noff. Cody calls me Nofferton. I've been called Noffinator. I've been called Noffy, Canopy. I've been called all those different things. <laughs> but the greatest name I have is Daddy. That by far and away is the greatest name I have. And Scarlett, um, she's been calling me Daddy for as long as she can use words. But about uh, two months ago, she started calling me Dad which it's not the same thing as daddy. And one time she called me Eric and I like had like a meltdown. I was like, no, like, no, like. And so the past few months I'm like, what's daddy's name? Like, what's my name? Like making sure she sticks with daddy because it's not okay to be called dad. It's not okay to be called father. It's not okay, like I'm daddy. That's, that's who I want to be. And it's become a treasured identity for me. And being daddy to Scarlett has shown me the difference between God and daddy God. And daddy God and God are just as different as father and daddy. And what I hope to communicate with to you guys tonight is about daddy God, because everybody knows God, but not everyone knows daddy God. And so I want to teach you about what I've learned about daddy God that I've learned from my toddler, who's two and a half, and extracted out of me the daddy nature that I believe is the nature of our heavenly father. Having children um, will just completely wreck your life in a good way, and, and challenging way, but it, it reveals to you so much about our Heavenly Father. It's such a gift. It's probably one of the most treasured gifts I can name about having children. It's just that understanding. So I have a few things tonight, and we'll go as far as we can, but the first thing is this, is that Daddy God is in a great mood. Daddy God is in a great mood. Ask yourself, when you think about God, what kind of mood do you see Him in? What kind of uh, demeanor does he have? When you think about him right now in your heart, what does he sound like? What does he feel like? What is the expression? Is he neutral? Is he occupied? Is he angry? Is he disengaged? Is he estranged? My favorite thing to do is to come home. I hate leaving in the morning. I'm fortunately I'm self-employed where um, I don't have a really strict schedule. And I, I've promised her that I always have time for one more kiss. 
But she, she's very, very smart because she realizes she can keep asking for one more kiss and I'll just stay around. So the morning time, like, I'll have like a hundred goodbye kisses before I sneak out the door. And when I come home, usually I'll text Camille on my way. And by the time I get home, she's out there in front of the, the driveway holding her little blankie, waiting for daddy to come home. And it's my most favorite thing. And no matter what happened in my day, no matter what stresses I have, no matter what's going on in life, at that moment I see her on the driveway and I'm in the best mood. And I come and I give her the best. And in fact, seeing her and being with her keeps me in a good mood. But how we perceive someone's mood and demeanor determines how we approach and interact with them. You see someone who's like, you know, grinding their fists, they're like angry, like, ah, you know, like you just, whoa, just don't poke the bear, you know, like you're going to stay away. And so examine in your heart what you believe the mood and demeanor of our Heavenly Father is. Because what you believe about the demeanor and the character and the nature and the mood of your Heavenly Father is that will determine every interaction you have with Him. That'll determine how you come to Him with your prayers. That'll determine what you believe about Him. And if He's not happy, it's not welcoming, is it? You want to trip out? If in your heart, in your mind, God is not happy and is a good mood, consider this. Which person in your life does that remind you of? When you think about God and you think about his nature, his mood, does it remind you of somebody familiar in your life? Perhaps it reminds you of your earthly father, maybe a stepfather, maybe a parental figure or a guardian. Or maybe somebody else in authority. But people generally who they have issues with God, they don't necessarily have issues with God. They have issues with people in earthly relationships that get projected upon God. And we begin to take the earthly projections of of people on this earth and we begin to personify them in the nature of God. And God never deserved that. He never wanted that. He doesn't deserve to have it on him. But we do that anyways. And it's important that we know that at all times God is in a great mood. But it's also important to remind yourself about this about yourself. Our very first emotion when we entered this world, when we came out of the womb, the second we came into this world, our first emotion was fear. Our exact nature as we entered the world was coded and came in fear. That was the first thing that our natural instinct came of. And so our our, our hard wiring is to be fearful. It's not natural to be loving. In my first message about Scarlett, I talked about how, like, she doesn't love me. And I didn't mean that in a bad way. But she's just, at that time, incapable of loving me because it takes a level of understanding. And I talked about how, like, that was just kind of weird. Like, I love you, I love you, I love you. But you don't, you don't even have a capacity to know what love is and to return love. So fear is innate, but love is learned. And because fear is so natural, we will always struggle to feel love instead of fear towards God. If you feel bad about being like fearful of God and like, I don't know if I love God because I can, I can relate to that. You get saved like five minutes later, you're like, I don't know if I love this thing. I just pledged my life to it. I don't feel love. That's okay because our natural defaults from our DNA and from this world actually has rooted us in fear. And it's okay to acknowledge that because love is learned and it's important that we know that we can learn to love God and that he's with us on that journey just as I was on that journey with Scarlett. And the smallest triggers can set us back to fear-based relationship instead of love-based. And that's why it's good to remind yourself, even when you pray, I try and do this, like, before I pray, it's like, Jesus, thank you, you're in a good mood. Thank you, like, you're happy to talk to me. You're not like, oh, not this guy again. Like, oh, my, my status is away, don't call me. Like, he, he's there, he's like ready. 
He's in a good mood. Number two is daddy God wants intimacy, not proximity. Daddy God wants intimacy, not proximity. Proximity or just being near is basically simply coexisting. He doesn't want to be near you. He wants to be with you. He really doesn't care if you're here, like your butt's in those seats. Like he's like, cool, like awesome, but I'm not, I'm not here for you to be here. I'm here for me to be with you. Most people are happy having God in their life, but they refuse to live life with their God. It's a whole different thing to have God in your life and live your life with God. Those are two separate different stories. If you think God is content with you claiming Christian on your religious status on Facebook, you would be wrong. If you think God is content with church being reduced to just something that happens in your weekly routine, you would be wrong. If you think God is content having you only call out to him during crisis, you would be wrong. If you think God is content by you reading books about him but never talking with him, you would be wrong. If you think God is content by you recognizing his existence but never participating with his existence, you'd be wrong. God doesn't want your money, doesn't want your attendance, or your bumper sticker. He wants to have access to communion with you. He wants access to be in dialogue with you. He wants intimacy with you. Daddy God isn't an absent father. He's not an absent father. But sadly for most of us, too many of us are actually familiar with what it means to have an absent father. Whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, so many of us are actually more familiar with a father who's checked out than a father who's checked in. But God should not pay the price of those sins. If you feel distant from God, I challenge you tonight, in all humility, I just challenge you that to consider it's not because you have an absent God, it might be because he has a standoff child who is actually fearful of an absent father. If you feel distant from God, you must probably ask yourself, like, where is this distance coming from? And is this distance familiar with any other relationship in my life? Because it's easy to project earthly dysfunction onto a perfect God. And then on the other hand, some of us actually prefer an absent father as God. Um, I realize that for a large majority of my life, I'd rather have a God who basically pays the child support in my life instead of actually being present and active in my life. Probably the majority of my life, I was like, totally content with just like having the fire insurance of my salvation. That if this all goes to crap, I still have my salvation. Like I was okay with that level of my relationship with God. But I was a bit afraid because I always had this, this um, I don't want to be too saved. Anybody have that fear? Like I want to be saved, but I don't want to be too saved. You know, because then like people like, you know, say things and like, you don't want to be that guy. I kind of feel like I'm now that guy, but... Um, <laughs> I want it on my, on my own terms. But who is God in your life? You ask yourself, is, is the God in your life the active father or is he just sending the check? But our daddy God wants to have intimacy, not proximity. So what is intimacy? Intimacy is the result of experience. Intimacy is the result of experience. I was about to make a joke, but I'm resisting to make the joke. I'm going to move on. Knowledge <laughs> is not intimacy. I'm going to say it. If I'm going to say, hey, I was intimate with my wife, you'd be shocked if I said I wrote a book about her, right? Like, no, it's not about head knowledge. It's like we had an experience, you know what I'm saying? Like, intimacy is about experience. It's not about head knowledge. 
It's not about attending something. It's about experiential. I'm feeling all sorts of <laughs> embarrassment thoughts projecting up here. But it is, it is possible to be surrounded by God and not know him. If you think that you can just kind of get splash off Jesus because you're around the same place, you're wrong. Jesus mentions this exact scenario. Basically, a man comes and is like, Jesus, you know, we cast out demons in your name. We healed sick in your name. We, 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 we. And Jesus is like, I never knew you. And that just because we're part of a corporate experience does not validate our individual relationship because Jesus is about individual relationships. I love you guys here. Please come back. If you're first time guests, come back next week too. But honestly, this shouldn't be the whole event for your relationship with God. If it is, it's going to be a big disappointment for what you want out of your relationship with God. Because it's possible to be surrounded by him in a setting like this, but never actually know him. It's possible to read the word and not have an experience with God. It's possible to go to a four-year Christian school and not have an experience with God. I went to a four-year Christian college, and um, our, one of our speakers, our senior year, is like, not only by our entire class, now has a blog helping other Christians abandon their faith. It's possible to be around God, to learn about God, but never experience Him. It's possible to go to church and never experience Him. It's possible to pray and never experience Him. It is possible to know every single thing there is to know about God and have it memorized and not actually know him. In fact, a lot of those people in the Bible, and they're called Pharisees. And yet they didn't even see and understand the Messiah was right in front of them. But an experience with God is where you make yourself available to be affected by who he is and what he's doing. Let me say that again. An experience, of, an experience with God is where you make yourself available to be affected by who he is and what he's doing. Our brains want to say, oh, I need to go like do this and experience God. No, you don't need to do that. You just need to make yourself available to be affected. All you need to do is say, Jesus, right now, whatever you're doing, I just surrender myself to be impacted by you, by what you would say, by what you do. Sometimes I'm like driving here and I'll, like, I'll, like, on my little iPhone, I'll find different songs. Usually it's like our father's like my favorite one right now. And I'll be like, yeah, like I'll drive in here. Like people like watching me in the car. Like, and I'll have these little mini experiences randomly with songs, randomly with the word. It's crazy. And I, I'm not trying to do anything. I just say, Jesus, whatever you want to do, would you just make me available to be affected by you? And it is you that's choosing to be affected by him. It, it's an accurate prayer to say, Jesus, affect me. For instance, like, Jesus, hit me with a sledgehammer. Like, he, he's a gentleman. He's not going to do that. But when you pray, Jesus, I make myself available to be affected. Because I believe that God is always pursuing. He's always seeking. You have to ask yourself, did whatever it is that that just happened, did that actually reach my heart and reach my spirit? But intimacy with the Father is based on you having an experience, an exchange, a dialogue, a conversation with him. Practically, Scarlett has taught me everything about this. Scarlett does not tolerate me most times just being in the room. If I'm there, like, she's like, 
she's not going to just lay down there and just like handle me, be in the room and, and not have my participation. She wants my participation. She wants my attention. She wants my affection. She wants my adoration. I come in and I hear about all of her owies. And she's like, owie, right there. I'm like, where? Right there. And she's like, tell me all about it. I'm like, how'd you do that? And she's like, daddy, look. And you know, maybe mommy got her like this little dress and she's like looking at her butt in the mirror. And she's like, daddy, come look at this. You know, it's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And if I take my attention off of her, you know, she says, Daddy, what are you doing? Daddy, what are you doing? That exact tone. It's so endearing. <laughs> Daddy, come with me. One of my favorite things is um, I'll set up like all these pillows on our bed. And it's it, like I would be in trouble <laughs> if a video of this got up. But like I'll like launch her through the air and she like flies, lands on the pillow. I can, you know, like, and I love it too. And so we'll spend like an hour every night like doing this because she has to have my participation. She desires it. She wants it. And you actually have to desire it and want it. It's not okay just to say, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm gonna do it. Like you actually have to desire the exchange. You actually have to seek. You actually have to say, Jesus, I, I just I want to be around you. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, come look at me. Like all those things count. Every single thing a little two-year-old toddler says, you can apply almost to your entire relationship with God. <laughs> it's amazing how innocent and sweet their requests are. Because God doesn't typically force intimacy on anyone. Intimacy by force doesn't work. Intimacy by choice does. And he's already chosen intimacy with you, and he's waiting for you to choose back but you have to stop the mindset that if you simply go into church-like settings that you'll be intimate with God. Number three is with Daddy God, discipline is not punishment. With Daddy God, discipline is not punishment. Discipline was the scariest thing ever to me because discipline basically meant punishment. Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. More or less what I read and hear that when I, when I would understand the discipline of God is that no matter what, God is going to discipline you whether you're good or bad, no matter what. And basically that in order for you to do right, you need to be punished and be afraid of what's wrong so you'll do right. Messed up, right? It's amazing how we can read the Bible and like get messed up from it. But that's the work of the enemy. But that's not what his plan and his purpose is. You need to know and be afraid of punishment in order to do good is not good theology. It's not what a good father does. It's not what my daddy God does. That idea is completely wrong. Fear is a great deterrent, but fear is a killer for intimacy. If God's single greatest desire is for intimate communion for you and you have fear issues with him, it's never going to happen. It'd be like saying, like a husband saying to a wife, if you ever leave me, I'm going to kill you. She might stay with him, but she will never give her heart to him. And I know so many Christians who feel that they have walked away from God and are in danger of hell that they've lost their salvation. I probably can count more people than I can physically count that actually are, are think that they've already lost their salvation. I've blown it. I have the punishment and the wrath of God coming and there's no way I can you know, recover it. And so fear... In punishment will drive you away from intimacy. And I basically thought that it was biblical to fear the punishment of God. You know, fear the Lord, right? Fear the Lord. But the concept of fear the Lord 
is not fear of punishment. It's actually like recognize who he is. Fear of the Lord is more of like, you're God, I'm not. And don't you mess with him. And don't you mess with me because you mess with him. Like that is like, you know, I'll, I'll tell on him to come get, you know, that is fear of the Lord. That's actually recognizing and authorizing something that's greater, bigger, more powerful than you, that you aren't the center. But what we kind of fear is his punishment, his wrath, that we fear his, um, his coming to get us. Have you ever like felt like, oh, God's going to come after me for this? Probably half my years in high school and college were about that. But that's an anti-biblical thought. Here's why. 1 John 4 says, God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And until Scarlet, I actually never knew the difference between discipline and punishment. You guys want to know what it is? So if discipline is not punishment, what is it? Discipline is this. It's boundaries. The discipline of God is not punishment. The discipline of God is boundaries. God is not in the business of punishment. If there's one thing that you get from tonight, it's this, is that all punishment for all wrongdoing for all time was done at the cross and upon Jesus. He's not going to come and give you like a victory lap on yourself. He's like, all punishment and all wrath was fully satisfied on the cross. That was funny. Come on, guys. He's not going to do a victory lap of punishment on you. Like, you're not like, he took care of it all. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 19 says this. It says that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But how do we understand the consequences of sin? Because it's not like there is no consequence to sin, right? Isn't that discipline or punishment? Well, let me show you. God disciplines through the establishment of boundaries. It's the law of reaping and sowing. That you reap what you sow. You sow and then you reap. You put in, you pull out. You get what you put in. Like, right? So if, if you get smashed with alcohol and you get just wildly drunk out of your mind, the next morning your brain is going to try and climb out of your skull. That is not God punishing you. It's not. It's a consequence. It's a boundary. It says like, here are the boundaries to sanity, and you violate them, and you're going to pay the consequence, not of any, any specific doing of God, but because that was the consequence to overdoing it. You cross a boundary, and a hangover is the natural consequence to losing it. And boundaries are the result of God. This is key. Why do we have boundaries with God? Boundaries are the result of God making us powerful people. Boundaries are the result of God making us powerful people. That our choices have impact. Our choices make a difference. What we do matters. And in that context, whether for good or for bad, our decisions and our choices can either affect things positively or negatively. And in there is where the boundary comes. God says, I've given you power. I've given you authority. I've given you my spirit. I've given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. And what you do, you will reap the consequences of your decisions. So when we experience a consequence, it is the result of us stepping outside the boundaries that God designed. Experiencing the consequence of our own decisions is the loving discipline that notifies us of the boundary. 
Sometimes we make mistakes and like, I had no idea about that, but I won't forget that one. Christ's life has been really powerful for me because it says the most loving thing you can do for someone is to let them have the consequences of their own decisions. It's loving to allow someone to have the consequences to their own decisions. Not that we aren't merciful and we help and we serve, but sometimes the natural spankings that come from our bad decisions in life are what help us grow. That's discipline. It's not punishment. And so with that, again, you don't need to fear God. You need to fear the freedom in which he gave you, which gives you permission to mess up your own life. If you were to fear anything, you need to fear like, I've been given a Ferrari of my life. I'm not quite sure I know how to drive it, but I have a hankering to go fast. And so like, you know, your decisions now are your decisions. And you get to, to drive the car of your life as fast as you want, take any turns that you want, but you own the consequences to how you want to live your life. And here's how I've learned this with being a father. Is we don't technically punish Scarlet. We teach her to understand consequences to choices, and she gets to receive the consequences of her choices. Two popular books on this, Loving Our Kids on Purpose and Love and Logic. Two great books for anybody who's got kids. And the principle is that we love our kids by giving them decisions, but every decision has a consequence that they get to choose. Um, we, instead of saying, Scarlet, it's time for bed right now, you know, go, and you dominate, like, you basically say, do you want to go to bed now or in two minutes? Do you know how many times I hear two minutes every day? <laughs> Scarlett, how are you doing? And, two minutes, Daddy, two minutes, no tubby, no tubby, you know? <laughs> but she gets it. It's like, Scarlett, do you want to get out of the tubby now or in two minutes? Two minutes, Daddy. Okay. Scarlett, two minutes is up. Do you want me to get you or do you want to get by yourself? I do myself, you know? And so you basically give her the decisions. Almost every single thing we do, we give her an option. Here's this and this. You can stay in the tubby and not get out yourself, or daddy's going to, you know, get you if you do, or you can try and climb out yourself. Whatever you want, it's your decision, but each decision is going to have a choice. Other examples, if you throw your vegetables off the plate and you start throwing your food, dinner's over. Clears that. When you walk in the street, you either hold daddy's hand or daddy carries you. What do you want? Do you want to walk and hold daddy's hand, or do you want daddy to carry you? <laughs> daddy carry you, daddy carry you. know, like she'll, she'll have her strong opinion and she has a choice, but she has to have the consequence of whatever choice that is. And a loving father establishes boundaries for his child. Because if not, I would be giving my daughter ice cream at midnight watching Mickey Mouse. But because I love her, I know that I can't have you go till midnight eating ice cream watching Mickey Mouse because tomorrow you're going to be cranky. And if you're cranky, you might be not nice to mommy. And if you're not nice to mommy, the consequences are that you don't get to hang out with mommy. And so a loving father wants to protect their child and looks five steps forward and establishes boundaries according to how you would precedingly make decisions. I know that if Scarlett doesn't get a great night's sleep, that she's going to be in a foul mood the rest of the day. And when she's in a foul mood, it's not very fun. We don't get to wrestle. We don't go do those different things. Is that making sense? What you can take away from that is God will not prohibit you from messing up your own life. He's not going to prohibit you from messing up your own life. You can do whatever you like in your relationships. But if you do whatever you like in your relationships, don't be surprised if you poison half of them, if not all of them. I always thought God was breaking up my dating relationships. He's got way better things to do. I don't need any help in destroying my own relationships. He's basically like, you reap what you sow. 
What you sow into in your relationships, you will reap. And no wonder that, you know, I was like, I don't want God anywhere near these things. They keep on going down. Like, you know, so, but I kept on having the consequences of my own decisions. You guys doing okay? I have so much more to go. I'm just going to give you one more for tonight. Daddy God moves on quickly after failure. Daddy God moves on quickly after failure. When Scarlett gets disciplined with the consequence from breaking a boundary, I don't linger on the issue. My main focus isn't on the discipline, it's returning to the fun. The bummer thing about like, the consequence is like, oh, I kind of want to keep throwing her on, the, on the, the bed, you know? But she did that, so like, now she has to go and you know, like, she has to be by herself and calm down. But when she's done, I'm ready to like, pick up where we left off. And God does not have the discipline, punishment mindset. He has the intimacy mindset at all times. Some people think that God is always thinking about disciplining, thinking about punishing, thinking about, you know, paying back. But instead, he's always on the intimacy mindset. And whatever issue or failure you come against, God wants you to be restored as soon as possible so you guys can get back to doing something better. Sometimes I feel like um, I have to live down an issue long enough before I feel right with God again. You ever have like a relationship, like a big drama, where you almost seem like a cooling off period? You're like, it's not going to be normal for like three days, I'm just going to avoid you, and then we're going to pretend like it's normal again. Remember that? You know, right? But God isn't like that. And when Scarlett was, was a little bit younger, um, as all little cute toddlers, they like developed this crazy thing where they hit. Like, Wham! Like you're just, ow! You know? And I remember like one time I was like jiggling, like Scarlett, like playing fun, and she's just like, wham! And it made like the loudest slap ever. And I was like so down into like, and she just thought it was so funny. I was like, and that's the hard thing. Like you're trying not to laugh, you know? Scarlett, well, now your consequences, you know, and you, you try and do that well. But if she hits mommy or daddy, that means that she does not get to be around mommy and daddy. You can hit, but that, you don't get to be around people if you're going to be hitting. You can go hit your teddy bear. <laughs> but once that time by herself is over, and we let her decide, so when we remove her from a situation where, such as hitting, we can always set her without any like anger, without any like emotion, and we just, oh, that's a bummer. That's too bad. We were really enjoying having fun with you, but that's too bad because you did that, and this is the consequence. We just go put her in her you know, chair with all of her toys in her room. We shut the door, and a meltdown ensues. And... We tell her, when you're ready to be fun to be with, you can come back out. We even then give her the choice. What's funny is that sometimes, like, you go in there check on her, and she's not ready to come out yet. She's like, I'm still pouting. Like, it's hilarious. But oftentimes, she'll come back out. And the first thing we do is, like, let's get a hug. Let's go back and play again. And it was actually challenging to think of circumstances in which Scarlett did something where we actually had to, like, give her a, a good consequence. Why? It's because I don't linger on that. I was like trying to like, I know we've done this many times. I feel like probably yesterday. But my mindset isn't on there. My mindset isn't on all the things she's done wrong. It's like, what are all the right things we can do? And so whatever issue you have in your life, whatever adversity you've had in your walk, whatever purity challenge, whatever temptation you've had, you're the only one thinking about your sin. You are the only one in the relationship between you and God, you're the only one who's still thinking about it. He's like, for my own sake, I remember your sins no more. You know, the Bible says that, Isaiah 43, I believe. 
for my own sake. God's saying that about himself. For my own sake, I remember your sins no more. Why? So he can be fully restored and ready to do whatever you guys want to do together. I'm going to tease this next one. I'll pick this up next week. Daddy God delights in giving, and I'm so excited to tell you about that one and that story. Amen.